Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Time it's a patron's choice episode. Patron's uh, choice. Patron's <laughs> choice. Oh. That's my radio guy voice. Trying clearly, to add some here. clearly, I'm we Chris, need. By the way, clearly, we need more patrons for a bigger uh, sound effect budget. Since <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's where your money's going. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm Paris, and that is uh, the aforementioned Chris. And uh, we read "Luckiest Girl Alive" by Jessica Knoll. This was a selection made by our lovely patron Veronica. Uh, thanks, Veronica, for the suggestion. Hopefully, this. Uh, hopefully, this review i guess is uh what you're looking for uh yeah this was an interesting one for sure i don't think this is really a laughy episode so much as a thinky one actually yeah uh, i think right off uh right up at the top we should probably do a content warning so uh we've been real terrible about doing that uh <laughs> in fact we've never done a content warning I think so, we've given general warnings before about uh, content, but maybe not directly up front. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this maybe time after we started talking about something. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to trying to be a little better about that. So uh, just so you know, um, this episode is going to discuss. Um, it's going to discuss and include descriptions of sexual assault, violence, and eating and exercising disorders. So be forewarned. Do not pass if any of those things are a problem for you specifically. Yeah, take care of yourself, please. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and, you know, we're, we're going to treat them. We're not going to be assholes, but, like, we're going to talk about those things. So if you don't want to hear about that stuff, then don't listen. Uh, I mean, maybe being an asshole is in the spirit of this book, though, because <laughs> boy, oh, boy. True. Um, all right. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read the summary, the synopsis of the book that we've read for today's episode. Uh, so once again, this is Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. Her perfect life is a perfect lie. As a teenager at the prestigious Bradley School, Annie Finelli endured a shocking public humiliation that left her desperate to reinvent herself. Now, with a glamorous job, expensive wardrobe, and handsome blue-blood fiancé, she's this close to living the perfect life she's worked so hard to achieve. But Annie has a secret. There's something else buried in her past that still haunts her. Something private and painful that threatens to bubble to the surface and destroy everything. With a singular voice and twists you won't see coming, Luckiest Girl Alive explores the unbearable pressure that so many women feel to, quote, have it all, and introduces a heroine whose sharp edges and cutthroat ambition have been protecting a scandalous truth, and a heart that's bigger than it first appears. The question remains, will breaking her silence destroy all that she has worked for? Or will it long last? Set Ani free? All right. Uh, that seems like a like a story that could be maybe interesting. Uh, so personally, I have zero interest in a book like this. So I was already like just 
ready to be disappointed. Um, I'm not what into... What makes it definitely uninteresting for you? Uh, I'm just not into, like, books about some lady's life. Like, I don't know. Like, like hey, yeah, I had a shitty... autobiographies of Marie Curie or Amelia oh, Earhart. No, no, no. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm... <laughs> okay, so this book reminded me of Confessions of a Shopaholic, and that's the kind of book I don't like. Books uh-huh. that focus on women or people. I mean, it doesn't have to be a woman, but, like, people who I have nothing in common with and would and would really not... Like, I don't care about designer handbags and shit. And, like, this lady in this book is very similar to the main character from uh, Confessions of a Shopaholic, where, like, all she does is drop brand names all the time. And I, I just, like, it's just, like, you know you know how when, uh, you know, you used to have uh, regular TV before everything was digital and you just get, like, these static masses of static like sometimes they were different yeah, colored sure that's kind of what this book felt like when she was talking about brands i was just like okay you just felt the fuzz coming in from the sides of like your perception yeah it was just like out. every yeah it was like everything just went fuzzy and i was like whatever and i just skipped until i got to something of substance because and that happened something a lot. that wasn't capitalized with an italian name of some kind oh god i just like so i, I mean i guess that's revealing as to how distance i am from I guess the audience of this book this book was not written for me I guess is the point I'm making but Uh, I don't think that stuff is like the main it's definitely like front loaded with that kind of a thing and it's you know continues throughout the book for the most part but that's that's really not the main focus of what's being explored here I would say it's like a side effect of who the main character is and boy oh boy is this a uh, main character that I think perhaps I don't know how many people would identify with her. Yeah, uh, that's that's the thing for me about this book that makes it terrible in my mind, I guess, is that the main character is uh, not likable. Um, the character even, you know, there, there's a page early on in the book that says, like, I'm not your plucky heroine. And I mean, that is true, but it, it I think so in my mind, I was thinking that this book was going to be like, oh, you know, I'm damaged, but I'm still lovable. I'm still a person. But, like, that's not what happens uh, at all. Like, this person is damaged and a fuckhead is kind of the best way I can put it. The Definitely, main character is uh, a not jerk. a nice person. Not someone I would not want to hang around for long. Her internal monologue is just complete assholery to everyone around her, obsessed with her station in life and status and how she's perceived by others on an almost paranoid level yes. to the point where every decision she makes is sort of informed by, well, what will it look like to others? Am I going to have the the sense of status over them that yeah, I and, need? And, and I mean, I, I certainly, um, you know, as, as a woman in my 20s, like I get, I totally feel some of, some of the same anxieties about life, but like not in this way or at this level. And I really hope that no one feels these things at this level because this seemed like a cartoonish level of anxiety about these things. Up, I, I up, don't know. Up front, she really reads like a lady Patrick Bateman, like the first <laughs> yeah. 50 to 100 pages of, of the of the book. Patrice Batewoman. Ha- That's she, yeah, <laughs> Patrice exactly. Bay-woman. She has a really like sociopathic vibe about her and how yes. she views like everyone around her. She's always judging clothes and appearances. There's like interns that come in to interview for jobs and they're just like you know try to 
get a spot somewhere, but and she see through all their bullshit. Oh, your your dad helped you out to get this interview, didn't he? You're you're just one of these same twenty three year old girls that come through these doors all the time at the women's magazine, which is a shitty name for a magazine. Oh, by the way. Yeah. So Ani in her adult life works at the women's magazine, which as Chris pointed out is like the stupidest name. Like you couldn't come up with anything else. You couldn't have called it. I don't know. Pink fucking anything, anything kind of obvious and feminine that isn't just literally the magazine for females. <laughs> um, it's supposed- buy this if you have female parts. Yeah, it's, it's like, for women. It's, it's real dumb. Um, it's supposed to be an analog for Cosmopolitan, Cosmo, right? Yes. Is it even yes, called Cosmopolitan 100- or is it just Cosmo? I don't even know. It's uh, I think it's just Cosmo now. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, it's supposed to be an analog for Cosmo. And in fact, this character, um, Ani Finelli, um, she's really kind of an, an analog of the author herself, Jessica Knoll. Um, uh, that's not what the author says, though. Yeah, the author says that, oh, you know, we have some things in common, but, like, we're really not that similar. And I beg to differ. I'm not going to go into, like, my laundry list, my crazy, like, rabbit hole I went down. But um, there are interviews she's given where she mentions things in her life that are literally mirrored word for word in the book. Like, for example, she gave an interview about her... Uh, about her anxiety about her wedding day and like getting skinny for her wedding and stuff and she mentions the exact diet that someone suggests to the main character in the book and talks and it's like the same weight and everything like that she's going for at the time for her wedding that Ani is in the book and it's like she describes the same kind of anxieties and neuroses of um of anorexia and then like binge eating and stuff and i'm just like i don't know man i'm pretty sure you are ani like i'm pretty sure there's a whole like five page rebuttal of that idea in the back of the book which seems a little defensive to me especially when the points that she makes as to why she is not one-to-one with this character she says that she understands this character and that's where she's coming from but that like oh well Tiffany wouldn't get married in Jersey like I did, so clearly we're different people entirely. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't really hold so much water when, like, the whole crux of why the protagonist is like she is in the book is pretty... It seems like exactly what happened to you at some point. Well, half of the things that yeah, happened is I mean, a back half here of, of shit, shitty shit that happens to Tiffany, the main character. Well, it's, Ani, it's, it's Tiffany. Yeah, Tiffany. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, so I and I think that like when the book was initially published, the author wanted to distance herself from the character because she was um, at the time she was denying that uh, she had ever been sexually assaulted. Uh, but in reality, the sexual assault that occurs in the book to the main character actually happened to Jessica Knoll. Um and but like I don't know a year or a year and a half after the book came out, Jessica Knoll was like, "All right, jigs up, yeah, I did get raped. It is it is like a representation of the rape that occurred to me as a kid." And so, I, I understand initially why she was like, "Oh, we're nothing alike. No, why would why would we ever be similar? Definitely not. Mm-hmm, yes, I'm going to go out this door now. See you later." Like I, I get yeah. that she was you know trying to. Uh, avoid anyone asking about whether the rape was uh, reflective of something that really happened but she finally came to terms with it and and talked about it um which you know is a really tough thing to do like i very totally much. understand why you would not want to um 
admit that that happened because or make accusations or whatever because i mean let's we're not going to get into it but like look at the supreme court shit that's going on right now just saying yeah like, kind you know, of super at, bizarrely at, similar uh situations I, that are being yeah. brought up here so you know yeah also like what a timely uh read by us yeah i mean you know president trump is you know, also has also been accused of uh, rape, sexual assault, misconduct, and all those things. But the Kavanaugh stuff is, yeah, like Chris said, like super timely and like weird that these things happened sort of at the same time. Um, you know, so in in a world where claiming, you know, where saying that somebody raped you can end your life, end a peaceful life for you anyway, um, it's really tough to do that. Uh, so yeah, like you know. Props to Jessica Knoll for like talking about it and saying, "Hey, you know, you know what? This did happen. Like, fuck those people. You know, whatever." Um, I don't think she pressed charges or anything because, like, statute of limitations and all that, which is a stupid thing. But moving on. Um, but like, even after she said, "Hey, you know, the sexual assault that happened to the book really did happen to me." She's, I don't know, it still seems like she's still trying to be like, "Oh no, the main character isn't me." But I just feel like there's so much evidence saying that it's so similar to her that I really think that they both experienced this horrible trauma. They both are writers at popular magazines for women in New York. Yep. Uh, they both lived in like literally the same areas in the book. Yeah, like down Bryn- to the college being named after the county she was from. Uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and she went to a high school prep school. In the same, like she went to a prep school just like Ani did. Um, the rape occurred basically just like it did in the book almost exactly from what you know she's said in interviews um and the same thing happened like you know and so i don't know there are just a lot of similarities i guess we don't have to sit here and list them all but i I do think it's really i guess i just wanted to bring this up because it's like i just want more from authors like i don't want their autobiography in a fictional lens like i totally understand that for some people if they've been through trauma, writing something like this uh, is kind of like therapy for them. You know, like they, they want to get it out. Maybe they don't want to make big sweeping accusations. So this is how they do it. And like, I can understand that. Um, but if you're, if you're like, I, I want to be an author, like I want to write an original story. I just, man, like add a fucking magical cat on a flying carpet. Like, like do something. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't... she did. There were things that made the trauma worse oh, that she added yeah. to the main character's life. So yeah. that's definitely a big difference. But, I, but at the same time, I feel like the whole discussion or theme in this book is like Tiffany is, is a massive jerk to like pretty much everyone yeah. around her. She, she, even like her husband or her fiance rather, She's not totally in love with this dude. She might have been at one point, but she's only marrying him for literally the the protection that his status and money offers her. That's yeah. she says it to herself multiple times throughout the book and like a couple of times to others. Like she has a friend named Nell that I think she mentions it to just like straight out. Yeah. I mean and uh yeah. So so I don't know. I mean I guess for me, like I just I just wanna read something that isn't uh it's not just uh, you know, write what you know. Like, I just think that that phrase has kind of been taken too far by a lot of writers. And I mean, obviously, you know, it's difficult to write about something that you've never experienced, but like you can write about something you've experienced, but like still change it enough that it's not just 
your life in a different shade of blue. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just... uh uh, I'm kind of mixed on this, especially considering how this book, uh, you know, sorted itself out towards the end, which I guess we should actually talk about the plot of, of this book since we've been kind of talking about the background and setting more than anything. Yeah, right I mean, so it's pretty obvious that, you know, uh, even just with the in the synopsis, it's like, oh, Ani endured a shocking public humiliation that left her desperate to reinvent herself. And it's like, well... For most women, that's a sexual assault. Like, it's no surprise, really. Um, But that actually isn't what it was, right? Like, that was the other bad thing that happens. Um, So Tiffany, I don't know. Tiffany grows up in this suburb uh, in Pennsylvania, and she goes to to his regular school, gets kicked out for smoking pot, and gets sent to this, like, prestigious prep school instead where they're supposed to, you know, like, fix her or whatever. Um, and she struggles with a lot of things that most women struggle with, like body image issues and weight issues, um, pop, you know, being popular, having friends. Um, She's super concerned, like, the first day of school and is, like, reading the tables around her for who's the top of the pecking order and who she should be going for to make friends with and who's got the nicest bag or clothes or something or makeup or even anything like that. She judges people on their appearances like straight out the gate, and and uh, like there's even one character um, that I don't even remember her, her name because her name is mentioned once, and then she's called the shark for the rest of the book oh, because yeah. her eyes are kind of set a little bit apart. And this is super indicative of Tiffany's character from the start. She's like even before I guess a lot of these traumatic experiences happen, she's a jerk and she reduces everyone around her to like status and perception yeah and she does that through the whole book even towards the end i think she like she's supposed to like uh she's supposed to have set herself free of some things by the end but i really don't see that as is what ended up happening yeah i mean and, and i think that's kind of the, the problem i have with the book is that i i it really feels like um even from that the sentence in the synopsis that's like uh you know the it explores this and this and then it reveals that she has a heart that's bigger than it first appears but like i don't it doesn't show that at all as chris pointed out it shows you patrice Batewoman, a sociopathic monster who is the american psycho like (laughs) there's another scene up front at the top of the book that's very indicative of this uh she's heading in to interview some like intern person for the, for some job at the women's magazine, not Cosmo. <laughs> yeah. And she brings this interviewee. She does this tactic apparently with all of her interviews. She brings them to like a lady that serves coffee in the lobby of the building that the magazine is in, who has like a bunch of facial scarring from burns all over her face. Yeah. And then she judges that person based on how they interact with this, the, this uh, burned lady who serves coffee and if they, like, say something shitty to her afterwards, she definitely doesn't hire them. And so I kind of get, like, get understand, like, oh, you don't want to hire anyone that's shitty to someone with deformities or disabilities. But at the same time, you're still using that person as a prop in your life to judge others by, which feels like a super icky use of another yep. human being. Especially when this person is never mentioned again throughout the rest of the book and Tiffany's only use for her is as this sort of judgment mechanism for other people that are walking through the door. And she does find some shitty people and she doesn't give them the job. But so, I mean, so you're an asshole too, just like a slightly better asshole. Yeah. uh, Yeah. She's, she's terrible. I mean, I, I'm, I need to find a good, uh, good passage to read, but everything she does is, um, 
like she doesn't exist like a normal person does and I, I think she really is a sociopath and I think that's the best way to put it um not like you know how when you kind of get up in the morning and like go make coffee and maybe get dressed and like go to work like you know you know you have some thoughts that cross your mind like maybe you have something important to do that day but you don't get out of bed and immediately go oh and now I have to walk quietly out of the room not to wake my fiance so he doesn't know I'm eating a bag of chips before work and then I have to dispose of the chip bag in a secret way and then I have to uh, go out for my my two hours of cardio before work because if I don't I'll be fat and then I have to like also I, I like, have to show up is... everyone at the the cardio classes to make yes. sure I'm the one the teacher thinks is the greatest at the cardio stuff just for reasons just because there are other women around me that I have to be better than yep uh and you know and like it's just a constant stream of these really crazy kind of thoughts um yeah like from yeah when like chris was saying when she's at her bar class or pilates or i don't know one of those like rich white lady things that they do um that she pays 325 dollars a month for she's like i can't you know i can't give up i have to do all of the all of the repetitions like i have to do them the best and and, you know, because I want I want the teacher to, to like me. And, you know, the teacher, of course, does. And he's like, well, you did a really good job. And she's just like, hey, hey, yeah, that's right. I and, got one over on the rest of them yeah. bitches in there. And, like, and it- somebody says, like, oh, nice job to her, like somebody else in the class. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, what? And she goes, but I did hear her. And she just wanted her to, like, repeat yeah, like, it so she could hear it again. The tiniest, pettiest shit Ugh. in the world. She will just... There's no level too, like, unpetty for her to not do, I guess, or something. Yeah, like, I think, so this kind of person is the exact opposite of the person that I wanted to be (laughs) when I was younger. And it's the same now. Like, this is the exact opposite of the person that I would want to be. Um, I do not want to be a sociopathic, anorexic uh, weirdo who obsesses over things and is marrying someone just for their money and obsessively buys handbags and shoes that are worth thousands of dollars just because everyone else is. I mean, it's just not something that I aspire to. Yeah. While you're mentioning that, can I mention the use at one point when they're like, uh, Tiffany is with Nell and a couple of other bitchy lady friends because you you have to have a gaggle of like very judgy lady friends. So you're all sex in the city, like, or something to try out your wedding dress. Anyway, when she's there, they use the phrase, go anno yep. to talk about like dieting for a wedding which is some just horrendous shit it, it like as soon as i read that i kind of, i was like wow you you really you don't think about how things sound i guess yeah uh oh i have i have the line i can read it to you oh good um so what's the problem nell's brow would have furrowed if not for the botox preventative she'd said defensively the problem is that I've been eating like a beast. I have to go anno now if I want to be ready by September 4th. Ani, hands on 32-inch hips, Nell said. Stop. You are so tiny right now. Nell would kill herself if she was ever this tiny. You should do the Dukin diet, Moni chimed in. My sister did it before her wedding. She snapped her fingers. Dropped eight pounds in three weeks and she was already a two. That's the diet Kate Middleton used, Love Bracelet said, and we all acknowledge the Duchess of Cambridge with a moment of silence. Kate Middleton looked so hungry on her wedding day, it had to be commended. 
Yeah. That's a, a lot of the conversations between women in this book. This is and why I can't the, stand this book. It's so inane. Ugh. A lot of the time, Tiff, Tiffany in her head is like, these inane bitches. They just, they, they don't see, it's all just a bullshit veneer that they're hiding behind. It's like, but so are you doing the same thing and you're judging everyone else around you for, for caring doing, about yeah. that stuff, but not as much as you or yeah. something. It's crazy that she, she's doing all this shit all the same shit saying all the same shit and like eating up all the same all the same like stupid imaginary rules but yeah then criticizes everyone for doing the same thing um oh sorry i i found the note so after the sentence that says i have to go anno now if i want to be ready by september 4th i made a note in the kindle document and my note was i want to throw my kindle through a fucking window is what yeah. i wrote because i was like this is i can't take this it's so terrible and and i know that the author is trying to show us that neurosis, you know, the, of this this obsession with these thoughts and, and status and stuff. But it's real hard to read if if you don't, if you're not that kind of a person, I guess. Yeah, so I think the main challenge of this book is that Tiffany kind of is this horrible person. But and she's experienced some horrible trauma that she perhaps uses this prickly or sharp edged, as the back of the book puts it, personality to sort of protect herself from things as well as like the status and power stuff. And I think the central, I guess, the challenge here is like, is that justified because she's self-aware of like why she's shitty? Maybe does, does that give her any leeway of it? Because she seems sort of self-understanding. So I think maybe this is a good time to kind of go through a plot synopsis here of like the things that happened and we can have a further discussion of her character after that yeah yeah um so like i said you know she grows up in this town in pennsylvania she gets kicked out of a regular school ends up at this prep school at the prep school um like i said you know she's struggling with body image weight issues regular kind of 13 year old girl stuff um tries to get in with the popular kids uh I don't know. She starts lying to people so that they think she's cooler. Like she pretends like on the first day of school, uh, the teacher is like, Hey, what did we all do this summer? Let's all share. And they go around the room and she, instead of saying the truth, which was just that she read a lot of books and tanned in her yard, she didn't really go anywhere. She says, Oh, I went to the Pearl Jam concert on this date or whatever. And everybody was like, oh, that's so cool, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. she, and she's like proud of herself for lying. And that that's one of the things you see that kind of sets her on that path of like, well, if I just pretend, then people will like me. And that theme is replicated as the book goes on. Um, and then eventually, you know, she uh, she ends up liking this guy. Liam, is that his name? Yep. Is Liam the one she likes? Yeah. She likes Liam. Liam has some other friends, Dean and Peyton. And then she meets... Uh, the unfortunately named girl, the shark. I honestly don't, I feel bad because I don't remember what her fucking name is, but I don't want to call the shark because that's super rude, but that's her name. She's not a real person. Actually, she probably is a real person. Fucking Jessica Noel. God damn it. You probably is. The shark is probably real. <laughs> the girl was probably really called like the hamster or something. And she just yeah. called it the shark. I don't know. Um, and then Olivia and Hillary, or I should say Hillary and Olivia, because they're, uh, nickname is the hose h-o uh, but yeah. also like haha they're whores yeah, yeah okay the popular girl squad that uh she has to judge back at even though she's trying to get in their good graces pretty desperately yeah um i forget what mostly really happens but like she 
So she's like trying to get in with the popular kids, but then she meets this uh, this kid named Arthur who's like got a lot of acne, is really overweight, and he's a huge nerd, but she really likes him. Um, and you know, as a friend, like they, they develop a friendship. It's nothing like weird and sexual or anything. Um, because he's gay. Because he's gay, so. but you know. Uh, and they, they develop a, like, kind of an uneasy friendship. He also, like, lives kind of close to her, apparently. Um, or he, or his house is close to the school. That's right. His house is close to the school. So, like, they're able to hang out a lot, right? Um, and eventually she ends up going to a party, uh, at, I forget if it's Liam's or Dean's or Peyton's house or Hillary or Olivia's, Olivia's house? I don't know. It was Olivia's house. I think. Somebody. Anyway, she goes to a party with the dudes, but she's the only girl there. She doesn't know she's going to be the only girl there, but when she gets there, she's the only female. Um, she gets incredibly drunk, blacks out, and is then uh, raped by Liam, Dean, and Peyton. Um, and she's so drunk that she only comes to, like, kind of in and she's kind of in and out, like... Um, you know, she wakes up and somebody's over her, you know, and then she blacks out again. She wakes up and there's like a different guy, you know, between her legs or whatever. And, and that's like kind of and then she says the next time she wakes up, she's like, I don't know, like there's like blood in a toilet and she doesn't understand why because she's so fucked up. Like eventually she wakes up uh, with one of them. Uh, she, she was wishing it was Liam because that's the guy she liked who she wanted to like be her boyfriend. But, um, it ended up being Dean or Peyton. I don't know, one of them. And she's like crushed because she realizes kind of at that moment, like, oh, wow, I don't, you know, clearly shit was out of control. She's like, tries to find her clothes, but she doesn't have any pants or underwear on. So she has to like run through the house without underwear on to find her underwear so she can leave. Um, to which some of the other boys like just make fun of her for because every man in this book is terrible. Pretty much all of them are a little bit terrible or fully terrible. Dude, aren't all the women also terrible? Like True. I can't I can't I, remember a single character in this book that I didn't that I wouldn't like. Nell isn't awful. Uh... She's supportive of her friend. She also enables a light drug habit. By giving her friend a bunch of pills, but only like when she's in a stressful situation, which could kind of go either way in my book, honestly. Nell's never like outwardly shitty. I, yeah, I'm not into it. I think that everyone in this book is terrible. Um, I think Nell's as judgy as Ani is. Exactly. And also as obsessed with like material shit and status. But um, yeah, I mean, so they, yeah, they all make fun of her. um, And then. I forget what happens. Like, obviously, everybody at the school finds out about it because kids talk. And and Tiffany is sort of like the butt of a lot of jokes or like rumors or something like that. Well, everyone finds out that this occurred. But of course, it's um, it's not talked about as a rape. Everyone thinks it was consensual and she's just a whore. You know, as, as they say in the book, she's a hoe or slut. They call her a slut. And I think she... On her locker, there's, like, slut bag or something, like, written on her locker. And I think somebody, like, stole her gym shorts or something that had blood on them because she got her period a few days later. And they, like... That was Hillary and Olivia. Yeah, and they, like, taped that up, like, on her locker, I think, with the phrase. Something like that. Uh, so Smell every- the skank, I believe. Yeah, so everybody really turns on her. And, I mean, that would, like... 
that would destroy anybody. Liam's nice enough to take her to Planned Parenthood for Plan B, though, so... Well, yeah, she kind of tells him, like, hey, we gotta take care of this or whatever, and he goes with her, and she's, like, really hoping that they're still gonna have a relationship, even though he's one of the dudes that raped her. Um... And I guess she called him a rapist and then apologized, which is a thing that actually happened to the author, which is one of the reasons why it's in the book. Um, and yeah, that's that's tough, but I, I get it. Like when you're a little kid and you didn't have anybody to really tell you like to stand up for yourself and stuff like that's I can very much see that happening. Um, but that, but I just want to mention that I wanted to mention that specifically because like like that's like the one good thing Liam did good quote unquote yeah kind of and it, it it's like supposed to there's a lot of like justify not justifying but I think just showing oh this complete monster also had a good side sometimes it he did a nice thing once yeah and and that's the thing like he didn't even really want to do it like from what I remember she kind of had to like beg him. And yeah, he only did. and he only went because he didn't want her to be pregnant, obviously, like knowing, yeah. uh, you know, so everyone treats it as it's this, it's the old double standard of like, oh, the boys had a fun wild night, but the girl's a slut or whatever, even though I mean, even though, like, first of all, it wasn't even consensual, like, second of all, if it was, you still shouldn't say things like that. So, you know, it's. It's fucked up, and like I said, you know, I think anyone at that age would be kind of destroyed by that, you know, by that happening in your school, and um, I, I, she continues to try to act like everything is normal. She goes to uh, another party where Dean, phys- like, slaps her outside yeah, and tries to, like, assault her again. Yeah, uh, but... She screams or something and wakes up Olivia's parents because it was at... That's right. That party was at Olivia's house. I don't remember where the first one was. Um, and she screams and wakes up or gets Olivia's parents' attention because they're, like, really rich and they had this huge house. And so, like, the kids were partying on one side and the parents were on the other. Um, so she causes a ruckus and then she, she like, she, like, runs away. She just starts running through the town. Um, and... Through, you know, the stars fucking align and she runs for so long. It's like the middle of the night and she's in a part of town she doesn't recognize. And she goes into like a convenience store. I don't even remember what she was doing. I think she was asking for directions. Yeah, Um, she was. And like I said, you know, the stars align and who's in the convenience store at that time of night. But her favorite teacher, Mr. Larson. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting character here in this book, too, uh, in some creepy ways. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how you look at some things. So, uh, Ani has a crush on Mr. Larson, like a lot of kids do with their teachers. You know, it's not serious. Nothing's ever going to come of it. He's Um, young. He's like 24 when he's like the teacher at this point. Yeah, he's like barely much older than them. And she's like 17 at the time. Or no, actually. She's 14. 14? 15? Yeah, she was 14. Okay. So she's a freshman in high school. Um, So he's, you know, maybe 10 years older than her. So, you know, not that much older once you're an adult. But at this point, pretty big age gap. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of developing that happens between 14 and 24. Yeah, exactly. Um, So they have this encounter and he sees sees her obviously like bedraggled. Like, I think, you know, she got hit in the face so she doesn't look great. 
uh and you know he's like what the hell's going on and so he kind of takes her and um takes her to his house which i would like to point out is a critical error on his part yeah uh, maybe take her home to her family no Mr. maybe take Larson. take her to the police if she was assaulted uh, uh you know either one is kind of acceptable to me i forget if she says to not take her home or something i she yeah. might tell him not to take her home i don't know but like don't ever take an underage kid into your home that isn't part of your family just a pro tip from me um don't yeah like, especially if you're a young teacher at a uh high school maybe don't yeah do that shit. don't do that i mean i get like i under like it did seem like he was motivated to help her and he was not creepy to her at all. No, um, no. He, he like, there's at one point where she wants him to sleep in the same room as her and he like kind of gets this like, all right, I guess, okay. And like he sleeps on the floor next to her and like nothing happens or whatever. Yeah, but... like he is clearly trying to handle it in the best way he knows how. Uh, you know, in the book, it's pretty clear that he's just like a teacher who wants to do the right thing. He feels really bad for her and you know can obviously see that she was assaulted and she tells him about everything and then he um you know i think the next couple of days he tries to get the ball moving on like getting all the boys in trouble and you know getting charges pressed but tiffany uh basically then says it never happened because she doesn't want to deal with the pushback or whatever from everybody so Mr. Larson was trying to do the right thing and help her out, but like many women who get harassed when they when they try to uh, make their accusers pay for what they've done, uh, you know, she feels like it's not worth being threatened and ostracized for the rest of her high school career. So she just says it never happened, and Larson and the rest of the school can't really do anything if, you know, she retracts her statement. So uh, everything kind of moves on, you know, like, you find out that uh, people have made accusations against Dean in the past, but like they're all, you know, rich suburban white kids. So presumably it was made to I go away before. Dean's parents funded a lot of the school. Too, oh, yeah. So there's a little yep. bit of that in there. Yeah, that's right. I think there's even like a hall named after him, his family, because this is like a this is like a prestigious prep school. So it's a high school, but like it's kind of handled more like a college, like a university sort of. Um uh and like her tiffany's family is like no help at all is her dad not in the picture her no her dad's around but he's like the physical manifestation of a man going <laughs> like he he's just in the background like yeah, not giving a shit or like really getting upset character. that tiffany d dares to like speak up for herself a little bit or something i don't remember him existing at all so I don't he know. was in a couple of car rides and like around like he was mostly at the office all the time so he was definitely like she didn't have really a, a male role model and yeah. tiffany's mom is just basically as status obsessed as anyone else in the future uh when she's working at the magazine and, and is engaged to her fiance luke her mom is basically like this is your only chance to give us a good life you have to marry this guy don't mess it up that's her entire character in the future yeah and her mom and Tiffany like really dislikes her mom with some reason like her mom is also like Chris said like also into sort of the superficial aspect of life uh but she's behind the times in that you know for example like she coached Tiffany to 
always wear makeup and like wear heavy blush and stuff but it's like 2000 at this point and you know that wasn't really or whatever year it wasn't like wasn't in fashion to wear heavy blush and like a face full of makeup so Ani was like kind of ostracized for being over made up in like the fashions of a decade past basically and like her mom would force her to tan so that she wouldn't be ugly and pale or something uh and so I think her her mom yeah, her mom kind of had her standards of beauty and what she thought was sort of, like, posh and set those upon Tiffany, but Tiffany slowly realized, like, her mom's sort of out of the loop. And uh, But but instead of just being like, oh, my mom's a little, you know, like, she's not really in touch with the modern era, she, uh, she really, I don't know, she's really hateful toward... Uh, anything her mother likes or or anything her mother would say like she talks about how garish her mom dresses and like her horrible nails and like places that her mom thinks are good she's really embarrassed of her mom because she thinks her mom is kind of like trashy basically even though they're from like a I don't know they're from like an upper middle class family and they have a house and a BMW but Tiffany's like oh we leased the BMW so like we're really Therefore, poor. I'm garbage person. Yeah, it, it's... And, I mean, for me, it's kind of hard to read something like that and feel bad for anyone. Um, and I and that's the thing that this book never really achieved for me, is I never felt any sympathy for really well, anyone Well, let's in continue, it. Um, because um, after uh, Mr. Larson tries to get the ball rolling and Tiffany just sort of tries to sweep everything under the rug and deny yeah. a lot of the stuff... Uh, Arthur gets kicked out of the school because he actually leaps to Tiffany's defense after a teacher, like, kind of makes a dig at her a little bit in class. And, like, really inappropriately, this teacher writes on the chalkboard, like, you know, Tiffany is a skank or something. I mean, not really, but she, she uses a different name, but very pointedly makes it obvious that she's talking about Tiffany and says, like, is a mall, is a street rat or mall or something rat like, like, yeah, street, like street rat yeah she's aladdin um that's not <laughs> no it wasn't street rat um yeah the mall skank i don't know she says something and again this is another thing that jessica Knoll talks about uh being true in her real life is that a teacher really did that to her and said uh, yeah jessica's a skank or something on the board and uh yeah and arthur's like you know comes to her defense he gets kicked out of school, um, and then their relationship is kind of strained too because he's like, I think I feel like he's really disappointed in her for not pursuing the yeah. charges against the boy, the boys who raped her, yep, um, and for wanting to fit in with the popular people who he's like, you know, they suck, man, like, and he's right to be fair. Um, and Arthur was always kind of a little weird, you know, he's gay and not out, so that is tough, uh, of course. There's and, rumors of him uh, sort of like giving another student a blowjob up at like a like the hookup point or something, and those are spread all around uh, the school, I guess, and to yeah. other schools, in fact. Yeah, this kid Ben, who used to go to their school but got expelled, like I forget why, eh, shrug or got I I don't really they don't give you a lot of information, but. It was Arthur's best friend, I guess. And the rumor was that, like, he sucked Ben's dick or something, even though that didn't happen. I, I And I, these details might be slightly wrong because it's been a while since I finished the book. Anyway, there's some rumor like that about Arthur and Ben having this gay encounter. 
Ben ends up getting kicked out of school, and then Arthur ends up getting kicked out of school eventually. And um, so they both decide to Columbine Bradley up. Yep. And so suddenly, you know, one day they both come back to Bradley, and they uh, they had did they have they had pipe bombs, and they had. It a was bunch of basically rifles. almost like uh, it was lifted from the Columbine thing. They had pipe bombs. Most of them didn't go off. Mm-hmm. Only one of them did. And then they basically stormed the school, picking off people that they felt deserved it. Yeah. And so the whole thing unfolds. And um, I think I think they even do they even ask, do you believe in God? I think that happened in the book. No, they, right? they don't. They, they don't. No, that are you happen. sure? I'm 100% sure that doesn't uh, happen. They asked them something. Um, I'm going to check because... They definitely... They, 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 Arthur offers Tiffany the gun at one point when uh, Dean is on the floor, like, having already been shot, and he wants to give Tiffany sort of the, the killing blow, I guess, so she can get revenge on him, but instead she uh, fucking stabs him with a knife to death and then yeah. runs away. Yeah, so... So there's a couple of levels of trauma there. First of all, one of your best friends coming back and murdering a bunch of people, you know. Some of them people you don't necessarily like, but he also murders uh, Liam and Peyton uh, sort of burns alive afterwards because he's shot. But um, Tiffany didn't drag Peyton out when the building was like setting on fire and she feels some guilt about that too. Um, Was it uh, Peyton? Yeah, Peyton was the one that died in the fire. Liam was cornered in a room after he split up from uh, Tiffany and another student who were running away. I think the shark actually. Yeah, I'm I'm having uh having trouble finding the exact place, but yeah, I mean, so basically, only one of them survives. One of her attackers survives, but he's in a wheelchair Dean. for the rest of his life. Yeah, Dean. Uh. And, yeah, and so, like Chris is saying, you know, there's some level of trauma there when she decides she has to stab her best friend in order to stop the attack. Um, So that's fucked up. But there's, like, another level where Ani is implicated as being part of the attack because she was close with Arthur because three of, you know, three of the boys who were either killed or attacked were people she had accused um of raping no, her she, did, she didn't she didn't accuse them because she kept silent but they did rape her and arthur knew about that and they would trade they, they had a yearbook an old yearbook that where arthur used to went to school with some of these people and they would write sort of like pithy little captions about them being horrible people how they deserve to die which sort of when the police came around investigating the shooting they thought maybe tiffany was involved in it because Dean said that Arthur was trying to give her the kill shot and the the stuff in the yearbook seemed pretty, uh, wasn't a good look. Well, that and her fingerprints were on one of the guns, but it was because they had been playing with it at Arthur's house at some no, other that's day. That's not quite the right image of what happened. Yeah, uh, Arthur offers really. her the gun by pointing it at her yeah, and she uh, flips yeah. out about it, but she still like, she still like takes it for a second. So there's like maybe some fingerprints on it. Yeah, so they her... weren't exactly playing with it. Arthur was showing it off to be like cool, and she was freaked out about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I thank you for clarifying. Uh, but they basically had this you know, they were hanging out, and her fingerprints ended up on one of the guns, so they had her fingerprints on one of the weapons, you know, 
Uh, and it, I, I guess it wasn't the one that she had handled during the altercation, the yearbook, and like, you know, the all that stuff tying her to it. She had been questioned, and um, eventually, you know, they 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 didn't end up prosecuting her or anything. Uh, they didn't feel like they had enough evidence to really implicate her. But um, so it's like, you know, you go to high school, and on top of having all these regular problems and people being mean to you you get gang raped and then you have to kill one of your only friends because if not he might kill more people that you don't really care about but you want to prevent a massacre and then oh also they try to pin some of it on you like i i don't really know how anyone could kind of get through all that um yeah, so that's kind yeah. of the central point of the book because years later she gets asked to participate in a documentary about sort of that what happened there and the future lives of people that were involved in it. So it, they, the documentary people talk to her, they talk to Mr. Larson, they talk to Dean, they talk to uh, Arthur's mom in a bunch of different things. And Tiffany agrees to do the documentary because she feels it'll give her some closure. Luke is not into that idea at all because he's just a general asshole that like doesn't seem to want her to do anything except be a pretty trophy for him. Um, You're just wrong about one thing, though. She also wants to do it for status and to be famous because oh, yeah, she's going to be on this documentary and she's going to be the, you know, basically like one of the stars. And and by the time they film it, remember, she should already be married. So she's like. Remember, my name is Ani Harrison, not yeah. Tiffany Finelli, because she thinks her name is like trashy and whatever. So she goes by Ani instead of Tiffany or Tiffany or Tiffy or Fine- whatever people call her. Um, so, yeah, she's, you know, going to do this documentary for fame, basically, and status like she does everything. Um, uh-huh. But she finds out that like Dean's going to be a part of it and they want they kind of want them to like doing a weird on-camera confrontation which sounds like a terrible idea to me i don't know what producer would think that that's a good idea um it's dramatic so it's good for the the watching yeah and like basically off camera she gets him to to admit that he raped her uh you know and he's even though he's he's mostly like oh come on you don't have to call it that yeah, Jeez, he's like, I oh, come kid. on, I'm already, I'm already in a wheelchair. Like, come on, yeah, I was a kid. I don't and even it, like my wife. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So there, there's this the the idea that people think that oh, when you're young, any crime is excuse. Like, if you're a certain age, any crime is excusable, especially sexual assault. And it's like the because I think at the time the boys were older than her too, right? They were like yeah, seventeen, were like, eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they well, were. they must not have been eighteen, but. 17 maybe yeah um and it's just like you know that's not it's not a valid excuse like i it really is i don't i can't believe i even have to say that but when you're 17 you know that you shouldn't be forcibly raping women sorry but like that's, and you need that's to be asking thing. for their consent and not just hey she's asleep so she can't say no that's good enough for me yeah which, that's real it's real messed up and uh which might be uh again relevant to current events Mm-hmm. um so that Anyhow. happens and then so yeah it's 30 years later the documentary thing is, is 30 rapid. years later Thirty? Oh yeah, shit. Sorry, uh, not thirty. It's I'm like sorry. ten I'm, years later. Yeah, or Jesus, fifteen wow. years. Yeah, because she's yeah. twenty-eight. 
29? Yeah, she's 29. Yeah. That's definitely not how math works. I, I'm sorry yeah. that I forgot how math worked for a second there. Chris, uh, yeah, I don't know. Chris fell into a black hole. Um, it's not It's not math club. Yeah, math yeah, club. no. Um, so, you know, the, and fast forward to, all, you know, this time later, she's 28 and she's engaged and going to do this documentary. And um, somehow, I'm trying to remember what happens next. Um, after She does she, all the documentary stuff and she comes back for the wedding. No, there's more stuff. There's more stuff that happens. Um, so by chance, her fiance is somehow doing business with her old teacher, Mr. Larson. And yes. they end up at a dinner altogether. Now, before she goes to the dinner, she doesn't know it's going to be Mr. Larson, of course. Um, because I think uh, her fiance was just calling him Andrew. And of course, when you're like a kid in school, you don't call your teachers by their first names. Usually like, it's not really how you remember them. So yep. he's talking about Andrew, 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 and has no idea. This last name is Larson. They get there and they recognize each other. And there's like this really creepy thing that happens where they're kind of both like, Oh, it's you. Like it's kind yeah. of this like weird longing to be together. And it, and it, it just struck me as very odd because it seemed like in her retelling of what had happened in the past, Mr. Larson was like, you know, he did the right thing. He wasn't creepy to her at all. He tried to help her out. Didn't seem like he was, you know, there was no inkling that he was like creepily interested in her. So it's really weird when all of a sudden they meet, you know, 15 years later and he's like, Oh, you know, we, we're both married or about to be married, but I guess I'm into you now. Like, it, it didn't really make sense to me. I think this book goes through a whole lot of hoops to kind of justify, like, why it's okay for them to maybe hook up or something. Oh, they're both adults now. And, and oh, oh, he respects her for her bravery in, in the face of everything else. And that's what's really attracting him to her is how it's really presented. And even though he, in the end, doesn't really want to do anything they do like make out after they like drop by the, the bradley at night for some reason to, like, yeah check it out. dude like there are things in this book that i so we also haven't addressed the concept of like the fact that it's very possible that tafani is an unreliable narrator um sure there's even a hint uh that maybe clues you into that when they talk about how they're reading catcher in the rye and how holden caulfield is an unreliable narrator and I do wonder about her when it comes to Mr. Larson. You know, it's like, did they really make out in the school together? I don't know. Did they even go to that school together? I don't know. You know, like, she totally could have been just, like, hoping that that had happened. Um, and it's really weird because she's so into... She's so into her old teacher and, you know, that she... They make a date. And they go on a date together. She even wears her nice panties just in case. Oh, yeah. Gross. That, like, Yikes. psychopath detail of, like, well, <sighs> he shouldn't fuck me. And I know I'm not going to fuck him. But, like, just in case. Ugh. So they have a date. And uh, I forget if they then. Do they have a second date? I don't think so. I think I it's just, like, they kind of meet up somewhere after a thing happens. Or, like, after a certain scene is filmed. And she gets a little emotional on him. Yeah, and they they end up getting pizza and then going back to Bradley and then they make out in an old classroom which is just 
real weird. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's for, a yikesy right there. Yeah, that's super not cool. Like, he is married. She has a fiance. She used to be a student. Like, and, and I don't know. Like I said, I just, I was confused because there didn't seem, there, there seemed to be no romantic relationship or sexual relationship or anything when they were younger. So, like, oh, but why Tiffany all of a sudden? definitely kind of wanted it when she was younger. Sure, but he didn't seem to at all. So it really surprised yeah. me that all of a sudden, you know, he he seems to have a happy life with his wife and then she pops in and all of a sudden he's at her feet. That That's why I, that was one of the things that made me wonder if like, I wonder if any of this was really happening because, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, that a, she... that's a reasonable thing to question because again, this character is not a nice person and doesn't really care about anyone's feelings other than her own, it seems like. Especially when we get towards the end, because after this whole thing, like I said, she flies back after doing the whole documentary thing. She's about to marry her fiance. And then like at the literal last second, she's like, nah. Yeah, she fi figures out that he broke a picture she had of Arthur and Arthur's dad. Like he knocked it off of a shelf. It was something she had kept, you know, and he tried to like conceal the evidence that he broke the frame by putting it under the sink and like threw the picture away. And she found that. And like, that was her last final straw. And I was just like, that's kind of a weird thing to be your final straw, but okay. It was after like an emotional journey going through the documentary filming or whatever. Cause she like meets up with Arthur's mom to have that film, which is another like yikesy decision by the yeah, producer. Right. Right. And, and like she gets Dean to admit to that thing, like on a, a hot mic essentially. So she, I think the whole point at the ending scene here, this is her final undoing of all these things. She's put on herself. All these things society has put on, put on her, the expectations and what, the status and power that she wants. And she decides nah at the last second. And then she has to go and re-record her introduction for the documentary because at first she was Annie Harrison. And now she's at the end of the book. She says, I'm Tiffany Finelli. Yeah. So I really, the thing is though, despite it, it, at the end of the book, it's very much like a, she's telling and not showing kind of a thing where, you know, she breaks off the marriage literally during the wedding. She just like fucking leaves. Um, it's like seconds before they walk down. The yeah, office, yeah, down yeah. The She's like, nope, fuck this, and um, and that's kind of where the book ends. And yeah, I think I think like getting him to admit it at a hot mic. Uh, she does she use that recording for something? Does it get publicized? I don't remember. They don't. I, uh, they, they don't go into what edit of the documentary comes out or whatever. But she like she feels like that that the fact that it's possible is kind of freeing for her. Yeah, and and so it's really just like uh okay so. I sat through this book reading the inner monologue of a sociopath who has been abused and traumatized by thing no like by things that nobody should have to go through especially all kind of almost simultaneously or back to back and I'm like okay but I still hate this person and this character in fact I don't like any of these characters and at the end that character is like rewarded for how shitty she is. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how to feel like I didn't, I didn't learn anything from this book. Um, well, maybe, well, here's what I think is again, sort of the central discussion point here for me about this book is, do you have to like any characters in a book? Do that? Does it have to be a, a, a portrait of someone who is noteworthy or good? Or can we just have a, a book full of damaged people acting shitty to each other at all times as just a 
depiction of how these tickets can blossom from one person to another. Because boy, is like everybody trash. Like literally everybody. Yeah, Arthur, yeah. you thought Arthur, you thought maybe it was fine, but then he murders a bunch uh, yeah, of people. Yeah, but then he kills everyone. Um, yeah. Uh, like uh, all all the friends are all bitchy, shitty, and judgy. And Tiffany is like, oh, I'm not as bad as them, but you are somehow even worse than them. Does any of the trauma and all this stuff you've erected around yourself to protect yourself from that, like, justify who you are? Can you even, like, if everyone around you is shitty all the time, does that mean you're guaranteed to be shitty as well? Do you have a hope to be a good person at all? I think you do personally because I grew up around some shitty circumstances and I think I turned out okay. It wasn't nearly as surrounded by assholes as Tiffany was. Yeah, I mean... You asked a lot of questions there. Uh, yeah, that so... was like a whole fucking spiel on the, the central question of this book is hurt people hurt people, but is it okay for them to hurt people? <laughs> and also, is it okay for those hurt people who have hurt other people to have an okay thing happen eventually? And yes. I, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, um, so it's tough for me because I actually do prefer a media that is a little uncomfortable because I think that's. I think that's how you learn something, and I think that's um, kind of the best media uh, out there is something that isn't just easy to passively consume. Like, it either makes you think really hard or, uh, you know, is maybe something you've never thought about before uh, or, as I mentioned, like, is maybe uncomfortable. Like, um, American Psycho is a is a great example of that. Like, we've, we've referenced it a few times, and... Uh, the book and the film, I think, are both really great. Uh, you know, it's a portrait of, <sighs> yeah, of, uh, it could be con construed as a portrait of the dangers of kind of masculinity and capitalism in America, um, or just the rantings of somebody who is crazy or maybe a little bit of both. Um, is and this I mean, the, is this the lady version of America? Well, that, that's what we were joking about is like, yeah. but, but at the same time, I don't, I, <sighs> I don't feel it's it's there. Th this is a kind of a pulpy novel uh, written for uh, women who are just like the main character, I think. Um, I don't think this is an intellectual kind of, you know, uh, adventure or like something that's... I, yeah, I don't know. It's It's really difficult to... Uh, parse, I guess, my feelings on this, but reading this and reading American Psycho are two very different experiences. Uh, I recommend you read American Psycho and see the film. I do not recommend that you read Luckiest Girl Alive or see the movie that eventually Reese Witherspoon is making of it, apparently. Oh, um, really? Oh, wow. I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, supposedly. I, I might lightly disagree with you here because, I mean, we're having a pretty intense discussion about this book, it seems. <laughs> this is definitely not a laugh-a-minute episode. No, no, no. This, this episode's not funny. I'm really sorry, everyone. Y that, that's okay, but th these are, like, legit questions here. I think it's fine to have a book where, like, literally everyone is shitty. There's other entertainment that where everyone's shitty that we definitely consume. Like, it's, it, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is basically about a bunch of complete assholes and but that's a comedy, and they get their comeuppance quite well, a bit. Well, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, like, American Psycho is is a book where, like, I didn't, you know, no one, like, there aren't the main character isn't really a good person or redeeming, or at least you you wonder the whole time what really is going on. And I don't, and and I don't think that's bad. And and actually, I know the difference because I feel like in this book, in Luckiest Girl Alive, the book is begging you to forgive 
the main character. It's begging you to tell her, oh, you know, it's it's fine that you're like this because, you know, you went through a lot. It's totally fine. You can totally be an asshole. You deserve, you know, you deserve every good thing that happens to you. Uh, you deserve to be mean to everyone because everyone was mean to you. And and books like American Psycho and, and other things, you know, like, I've never seen It's Always Sunny, but um, I think I saw I saw that one scene where Danny DeVito's in a couch. That's all I know about that show. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good <laughs> that's uh, my, short. Yeah, that's yeah. my only foray into that show is Danny DeVito. Nice encapsulation couch. of that show. Yeah, I guess. Um, but even like Game of Thrones or, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, like there are plenty of really complicated, complex characters that are really in a gray area between whether they're good or bad, right? But it's compelling. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't beg you to love all of them. And I think I think that's the thing. This book is this book is trying to get you to that point, but it I don't think that it should. And I wish that it wouldn't. I wish it would just it would just portray itself as it is and not sit here and try to be this sort of like edgy uh you know, like, oh, I'm a kind of the, you know, like, oh, the bad girl with a heart of gold. Like, that's not, she doesn't have a heart of gold. Stop trying to tell people well, that she hey, does. Well, hey, the rest of the the family that she's marrying into and her family voted Romney, but she didn't because she's feminist and she thinks. That's what I'm saying. Like, racism and sexism and homophobia are wrong. She calls people out on that shit. And she, like, she thinks that makes her way better than everyone else. Well, when at the same time, she's no better than any of them because she totally judges people based on status and how poor they are or not. So I can't imagine she's on like the democratic platform for like helping the needy that much when she's judging everyone for what they wear. Yeah. And I mean, at and every th turn. And that's kind of what I'm saying is like the book is trying to get you to accept her as she is and forgive her for all this shit because it, it puts things like that in there. Like, Oh, but look at her defend, you know, look at her yell at this racist and look at her vote Democratic. And it's like, that doesn't make up for how shitty of a person she is. And and yeah, I, I just feel like the book is really trying to get you to a point where you are sympathetic for the main character. And I certainly never got there. I read this book and I was like, this lady fucking sucks. I don't care what happens to her. Like, I don't wish her any additional ill, but I also don't care because she seems like an asshole. She really, and like, when you said uh, bad girl with the heart of gold, there's definitely some passages that like really play that angle uh, up dude, a little. Dude, let me, let me, okay, so another problem, we haven't even touched like the writing in this book, so. Before you say anything, I do <laughs> want to say that I think there's moments of like really insightful stuff yeah, that is really yeah. well done, but the, there's also other like ridiculous pulpy moments. Yeah. And you have a couple, <laughs> uh, I think I have a couple. So, so I can try to read you something that I think is good first. Um, and also a sentiment that, like, I, you know, I have definitely felt in my own life, so I get it. Um, at the very, be the very first scene, actually, I can just read the first scene in the book. Uh, no, right. I won't. I won't. Um, um, <sighs> yeah, I guess I kind of have to read a little bit before it, because otherwise just saying it out of turn doesn't make sense. So the this is the opening to the book. I inspected the knife in my hand. That's the shun. Feel how light it is compared to the Wusthof? I pricked a finger on the blade's witchy chin, testing. The handle was supposed to be moisture-resistant, but it was quickly going humid in my grip. I think that design is better suited for someone of your stature. 
I looked up at the sales associate, bracing for the word people always use to describe short girls hungry to hear thin. Petite. He smiled like I should be flattered. Slender, elegant, graceful. Now there's a compliment that might actually defang me. Another hand, the skin several shades lighter than my own, appeared in the frame and grab made a grab for the handle. Can I feel? I looked up at him, too. My fiancé. That word didn't bother me so much as the one that came after it. Husband. The word laced the corset tighter, crushing organs, sending panic into my throat with the bright beat of a distress signal. I could decide not to let go. Slipped the forged nickel and stainless steel blade soundlessly into his stomach. The salesman would probably admit a simple dignified, Oh! It was the mother carrying her crusty-nosed baby behind him who was the screamer. You could just tell she was that dangerous combination of bored and dramatic that she would gleefully, tearfully recount the attack to the news reporters who had later swarmed the scene. I turned the knife over before I could tense, before I could lunge, before every muscle in my body, forever on high alert, contracted as if on autopilot. So, that was an example of, like, it was good and then it got stupid. Uh, yeah, this, the, <laughs> like, the, the, the part about, uh, you know, I'm less scared of that word than the word that comes after Yeah, it. like, I'm scared about being, uh, being married and, like, you know, using this analogy of, like, uh, marriage and the corset, like both things used to constrain women in different ways, and like, yeah, really that, was, nice. that was great, wow, good but job. Then, like... But then she's like, oh, and then I could like stab him, and and like, oh, and then she starts critiquing the woman with the baby near. It's just like, whatever, dude. Yeah, like, like the judgment part is like really indicative of her character, but I want you to notice the like nice little parallel here of like she has stabbed someone to death before, right? So we don't know that at this point in the book, but this is something that she's technically capable of. I yeah, guess. yeah. Um, but I just feel like the writing, and I'm sure you could probably feel it, it gets this really, like, to to use a word of our time, it gets real edgelord a lot of the time, where it's just, like, Yeah, there's a couple trying. of good, she, she'll be talking about uh, how she views some people, and, like, then she's judging their sex life and talking about, she's so vanilla, I need to have my pussy shocked with electricity and be hit <laughs> to feel anything. <laughs> She literally says that she's like, I need electric volts to my, I need volts to my pussy and like, I need to be punched in the face. And you're just like, yeah. okay. Um, and you know, I, you know, different, different strokes and everything. Like I'm sure plenty of people are yeah, into that. That's not the issue. <laughs> it's just that it's there to be hyperbolic, hyperbolic, whatever. Um, to be extreme. You have a passage here that I think exemplifies oh. <laughs> the edgelord thing really so well. So she's talking, and this is actually kind of part of the same passage where she's talking about, what what makes her so much better than the other girls? Um, <clears throat> Rusted and bacteria-ridden, I'm the blade that nicks at the perfectly hemmed seams of Luke's star quarterback life, threatening to shred it apart. And he likes that threat, the possibility of my danger. But he doesn't really want to see what I can do, the ragged holes I can open. I've spent most of our relationship scratching the surface, experimenting with the pressure. How much is too much before I draw blood? I'm getting tired. Bleh. Yeah. Kill like, me. It, it's a little over the top in my book in that there's also a couple other things that seem to like just be there to titillate, like the scene where she hooks up with a bartender who's a lesbian Ugh, just because. Yeah. Like she, well, so uh, Luke's parents have like a summer house on Nantucket because they're rich white people. And um, at this bar, there's the lesbian bartain, bar, bartender named Lizzie, who they call Lizzie, which is like the same tired fucking joke everyone makes when you encounter a lesbian whose name is some variation of Liz, Elizabeth, or 
Lizzie. So they're like, oh, Lizzie the lesbian. And she, she like gives the bartender kind of the idea that she might be into her and then uses it to make her boyfriend jealous and like aroused. And it's like really fucked up. Like, but she also does hook up with the bartender. But then doesn't some... tell anyone. Like, the bartender follows her into the bathroom and, like, pushes her up against a wall and starts making out with her. And I'm just like, it's it's just this, it's another book full of, like, all these things that make me wonder, would all of this really happen to one person? Like, that just <laughs> seems, like, a little ridiculous. There's, there's also, like, some pointless titillation there. There's another relevant thing, speaking of that. At... There's a scene when she's uh, getting carried out of the school after the shooting has happened. She's getting put in an ambulance and they have her in a hospital gown or something. And she like trips and falls when she's trying to explain something. She's like in a high anxiety state. And uh, it's described as my Titanic breasts spilling out of the hospital gown, (laughs) which seems a little over the top for hey i don't think you're that big anyway you didn't mention how big they were before also this is like a traumatic scene and like why yeah why the slapstick cinched in the why are hospital gowns cinched in the back also well well, some people do accidentally put them on backwards but like yeah i don't need any slapstick comedy when you're like being put in an ambulance after a school shooting like i it just seemed like a strange choice i think it's supposed to be like an embarrassing humiliation thing but just yeah. the use of the word titanic titanic before, breasts yeah it's was not a little it's, it's that word choice that really uh made me stop for a second oh yeah i i mean i agree with you and there's there's quite a few things in the book so i mean the writing isn't the worst i mean it certainly has some redeeming passages and stuff and you know it wasn't it wasn't like full of grammatical errors or spelling errors it it seemed to be thoroughly edited which i appreciated um some of the thematic elements did kind of gel together like there's the whole thing about her name and how she sees herself that yeah is uh, you know intertwined with her status and at the end she said finally says i'm tiffany finelli so she's accepting like her real identity maybe but we really don't see what happens after that just because she like accepted that name doesn't mean she stopped being a bitch to everyone or yeah yeah i mean and that's and that's like the one of the questions you posed was like does just knowing that your trauma negatively affected you absolve you of acting like an asshole and i don't think it does i mean it doesn't it's a good first step but it absolutely doesn't like yeah I, i yeah that's that's a good way to put it it's step one you know like acknowledge that one, acknowledge you're a jerk. Two, acknowledge why you're a jerk. Um, and then, you know, steps three through X, uh, you know, are you actively working to change that? Um, and yeah, and I just, I see no... she doesn't really, except maybe by calling off the wedding, that's the best use so far, because at least she's trying to make... A, a, she's trying to not make a huge lie happen, but you should have done it before, honey. Like, way, way before. Yeah, and I mean, her whole life at this point it isn't really even her own. You know what I mean? Like she says that she wants all these things like, Oh, I want to have this job at this magazine and I want to have all this money and I want to have this nice husband. But like, is that what you really want? Or is it just what you think will make you safe and powerful? Like, you know what I mean? I, I think that it, it's one of those things where I, I don't, I don't know that she even, has a, a sense of self outside of uh, consumerism and kind of social these social hierarchies and social rules that she cares about. 
And I don't know whether she undid that or not by the end of the book. It, she certainly, again, took a first step maybe towards it, but without maybe like a couple extra pages or an epilogue about how stuff turned out, I really don't have any context on whether she just decided to at least try and maybe that's a good first step and that's the whole point of the ending. But she's just, again, she's surrounded by assholes her whole life, but that doesn't absolve you from being an asshole too. Yeah, and, and... And despite all your trauma, you're still shitty and judgy to everybody. Yeah, like... like about the, anything. All the, all the bad things she experienced, whether it was the, the rape or the school shooting where she had to, you know, kill her friend. I mean, those things certainly intensified, uh, you know, various issues she had. But all of that stuff kind of... There were already seeds of her being a shithead that were sown well before any of that happened. Oh, yeah. You know? She was judgy as fuck even before any of that happened. And uh, Yeah, and I think... And, I mean, it, it was probably... It was a little bit her mom. It was a little bit, you know, just the general climate uh, in which a person or a woman grows up in America um, at the time and still in present day. Um, you know, in many places especially where, you know, where she was, you know, kind of like suburban Philly, like near New York City, rich people, like rich, you know, white people, it's, they have, you know, they have their societal rules and whatever. And if you don't live up to them in every way, then you're an outcast. And I mean, I think that like, I think maybe you, you and I were fortunate enough to grow up in different environments. Uh, we also didn't grow up wealthy, uh, I think, which may have something to do with it. But yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly like, you know, as a girl, I had I had some of the same pressures and some of the similar issues. Like, I definitely have had, you know, struggles about my physical appearance and my weight and some things I still struggle with. Like, I still have a really hard time accepting um, just how I look in general. Like, it's um, it's just one of those things that I think every every woman deals with um i know some men deal with it too and some people who are non-binary you know people it's a common thing um but you know and and so some of the stuff i could relate to but not at quite the level i i think and yeah i think i think it was just another one of the things in this book that made me it made it hard to relate to because it was kind of blown out of proportion, at least from my experience. Like I know that some people have anorexia and some people have, you know, like over exercising disorders and whatever. Um, but I, I never really got to either of those points. So for me, it's just like, I can kind of relate, but like, hmm. I mean, yeah, everyone's going to tackle trauma differently. And I've certainly had, you know, I, I've grown up decently, I would say, but there's some abuse in my past for sure. So I can kind of relate on, does yeah. having a shitty traumatic section of your life give you license to kind of be more barbed and sharp to everyone else in order to protect yourself? And I can understand the urge for sure, but I just come to such a different conclusion in the end. Yeah, where me too. I, I, would, I would rather be someone that doesn't exemplify those traits that someone else showed to me. Yeah, I think I think I I feel the same way. It's like, you know, whether it was, you know, weight and body image issue stuff or whether it was other types of abuse, you know, I had, you know, similar problems and it's like yeah, at the end of the day like, you know, it sure it's cool to be like, oh, I'm the I don't know, I'm going to be the grim specter of evil over here and no one's going to touch me like and be, you know, fucking like 
an antagonist forever, but like while you were <laughs> partying, I was studying the blade. Yeah, exactly. Like, but like that's not. It's not a satisfying way to live. It's not a good way to live for, nope, for me. No, it's very unhealthy, uh, and it just kind of traps you in a cycle of negativity that yeah. isn't healthy for anyone, either yourself or those around you. Yeah, and it's like, why would you want to? Why would you want to make things shitty for other people? Like when you've already been through shit, I just. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that, you know, there are a lot of complex factors that, um, you know, are involved in how people kind of end up in a behavioral sense, a psychological sense. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I I don't get it. Like, I've never, I don't see the point. Speaking of bad people and bad outcomes and stuff like that, here's another hard question that I think is an interesting one to ask. Did the three boys, Dean, Peyton, and Liam, deserve what they got? in the shooting liam died peyton burned alive after being shot and dean was paralyzed from the waist down forever yeah i mean like you know uh my rational brain wants to give a different measured response but my first instinct is probably yeah uh (laughs) which you know they weren't nice boys uh is maybe kind of a it's like it's like so my first instinct is like the second you ask the question my internal monologue yells yes like without a second thought but i know that that's probably not reasonable um and dean gives motivational speeches to people now and might have helped some people out of a funk or something despite the fact that he's still internally kind of the same asshole especially towards women it seems like when he just calls his wife fucking stupid in front of Tiffany. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, um, you know, my, like I said, kind of my animal instinct is like, yeah, they deserved it. Fuck them. But asking whether they deserved it and whether, you know, if you were given a choice, what you would choose, I think that's different. Um, True. You know, I think that given a choice, I think that everyone deserves a chance at rehabilitation. And then if you fuck that up, yeah, fuck you. Get burned alive. Get shot to death. I don't care. But um, I think that rehabilitation is something that uh, is really successful in other societies. And in America, it's not really an avenue that's pursued. Uh, mostly we just imprison people and then profit off of their imprisonment because this country is incredibly fucked up. Uh, so, like, thinking from it, <laughs> you know, from that perspective, it's like, you know, my views, my political and social views, I guess, are that we should people should try to you should try to rehabilitate people try to make them understand like what they did was fucked up and wrong and like make them understand that what they did was not okay and that they can't do it again um i mean and it works for some people it certainly wasn't working for these boys who kind of got let off the hook every time by a supportive school populace and administration who are doing the boys will be boys shit well that's not rehabilitation right that's 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 what i mean so they're they're not they're conceivably they would not have faced consequences and they would have not have realized what they've done was wrong possibly forever. Yeah. I mean, so fuck them, I guess. Ma- uh, maybe. Yeah. I, they I, certainly sowed their own seeds. Cause I don't think Arthur and Ben went after any innocent bystanders, except maybe Ansley, that one girl who I don't even know why they shot her. Uh, I don't know. They killed quite a few people. I I have no I don't know that there's ever a way to uh to know um why they killed some of the other people. I think some of it was random. I mean, I think they definitely had their targets, but then there was collateral damage around those targets. So I think some people did die that 
you know, where they were certainly looking to murder a lot of people if they had nine pipe bombs in the cafeteria. Yeah, and fuck, they they definitely like asked, um, they definitely asked someone something before they shot them. That's why I was like, oh shit, did they did they ask them if they believed in God? Because I remember them. That definitely didn't happen. Asking, uh, I don't know. I remember them asking something. And I can't remember, uh, yeah. It, well, I mean, you, you make a good point, though. It's like, if they hadn't raped Tefani and if they hadn't um, persecuted, you know, Ben and ben and him for, for something that didn't even, for being gay, basically, like, would this have happened? I mean, of course, you know, you... You can't try to write it off as like, well, if yeah. only they were nicer, like that yeah, guy wouldn't have shot him to death. Of, like that's, that's a little kind of the other half of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little, like, little too far in that direction. But I so I don't know. That's like a tough question for me. I don't necessarily think they deserve to die. Maybe Dean's the one that like really kind of got not appropriate level, but like. Yeah, I mean, he he got punished, and he certainly didn't learn. It seems like. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing to think about, too. It's like, well, if the one guy who lived, even though he is paralyzed from the waist down and, you know, like, and he still didn't learn, then maybe the other two dying was fine. Like, <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It's it's a I mean, it's a messed up thing to say. Uh, but, you know, we're we're just talking about these things in a vacuum. So, like, don't. Don't I take any of the things we I, say as like you know pronouncements on real life. Like that's not really the case. But but I think that's what this book was and what Jessica Noel was trying to get at is like this isn't supposed to be a necessarily a redemption story by my read. It's just a portrait of a bunch of fucked up people trying to like I don't know either cover for themselves or make things better depending on their personal level of justification and trauma, even though the boys didn't seem to necessarily have any trauma to them. They were just complete assholes. So I, it's just a, it's just a mess of assholes. That's all I have to say about this book <laughs> is, can you enjoy yeah. a book with a mess of assholes and like a portrait of them? I, I think if you, you think that's a valid thing to write about, then fine, maybe read this book. Well, I think you can, but I don't think that the author, the author didn't do it in a way that, uh, that worked for me, so I wouldn't recommend it. Um, it's definitely a thinky one, though. We def- this has been a lengthy discussion. Well, I mean, my my personal opinion is that if you want to read something like this, where the main character is kind of a jerk and you know maybe ha- has some issues, and uh, but and the story is like interesting, uh, you can read uh fucking that book I read, uh, Sharp Objects. You can read that um, because that is a much better um kind of analysis of what happens when like when a pattern patterns of abuse are allowed to continue um and you get a fucked up narrator that you don't really love uh but the story the way it's written it's all way better i highly recommend that um i've seen other people say that like oh, this novel is just like, you know, Sharp Objects and Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, and it's, it's really not. Like, they're trying to... I, I feel like they're trying to do similar things, but this book fails, whereas Sharp Objects succeeds. Uh, I have not yet read Gone Girl, but um, yeah. So that's my recommendation. If this is kind of... If you're looking for this, but actually good, uh, pick up something by Gillian Flynn. Um, but All anyway. Right. Maybe uh, I will try that out, because, like... 
this was a confusing one for me. I, yeah. I, I'm really like straight down the middle on it. Like me, it might be a valid read for some people, but like, I don't like any of the characters in, in here. Yeah. I don't like them. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And um, sorry, I just wanted to say that that being said about me recommending sharp objects, I, I do think, you know, obviously I'm not like, Oh, it's 120%. It's the most perfect book ever. Like, you know, you can recommend something that maybe has an issue or two is all I'm saying. It's don't expect yeah. perfection, but it's real. It's much better than this. Um, I, I think the last thing I really want to address before we kind of close the episode is um, uh, this this whole thing in this book. So where I was saying I, f- I felt like maybe it was sort of um, like setting up all of this asshole, horrible tendency, like sociopathic shit kind of to tear it down. I, I was also thinking that this book was setting up um, kind of capitalism material gain all these weird social hierarchies and social rules to, to kind of like tear it all down but it it doesn't do that even even though Ani leaves you know leaves her wedding um like, like you said it doesn't really it doesn't really continue um she revels in the whole status thing up yeah. until the very end yep. even after she like gets rid of or she's she cancels the wedding or whatever she's still just as obsessed with all these material things that's never not a part of her yeah and when i and when i was reading about the author i was expecting to find the author talk about how how toxic this kind of um culture is and how how bad it is for women but it seems like the author actually also buys into it wholesale um she even talks about the uh the th- there's this little this little thing in the book the author or that the main character mentions a couple of times it's like when you meet someone you never say nice to meet you you say nice to see you um because that's uh, i don't know that's what fancy Classier. people say yeah. um and apparently that's something the author actually learned from someone and and lives by and gave as advice and i was like oh fuck really and like i don't know she also wrote this article about like i want to be rich and i'm not sorry for it and like that's cool man but uh yeah i and i then just the whole wedding diet thing too, oh yeah the whole it... wedding diet thing where she was like yeah i recognize it was really unhealthy um i guess i shouldn't uh you know obviously like that was really bad of me to like go on that crazy diet and lose like you know 20 pounds in a few weeks or something uh, and i know that was bad and now i'm now I'm happy at my being five three and 120 pounds, and I'm like, yeah, because that's still thin. Like I, <laughs> like yeah. I mean, you know, no, I'm not out here like being the 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 board of women's weight or something. Like I'm <laughs> I'm not the UN for women's bodies, but like, but like officially sanctioned by the UN. Yes, women's bodies. yes. Uh, but, it's a really confusing <laughs> acronym, UNWB. <laughs> but you know, it's like five three and 120 pounds is a perfectly like healthy slim person uh so it's really weird it actually made me kind of upset uh on a personal level when she was talking when she said that in her article um i i think it it, it may even come up in the book i don't remember um because i'm shorter than that and heavier than that so i was like great so i'm one of those people that you would make fun of if you saw me in public i mean of course because i don't dress in designer clothes and i don't spend a lot of money on on purses and shit so i was just like it it made me sit there and think like okay you know i really feel like the author is this character in this book and also 
that she's perhaps just as shitty as the character in this book. Yeah, um, I, that's the thing that really confused me. She's yeah. so self-aware about how shitty some things are and then by, just rolls with it anyway. She's yeah. judging everyone else for being materialistic. And then she's like, oh, but I'm told I need this purse just so I have that status over everyone else. And there was that interview you were talking about where, like, it seems like the interview person was like, oh, wow, Aunt, uh, Tiffany has to deal with all these, like, pressures from society and uh, about just, like, appearance and, and status and everything. Do you think that this is a good commentary on that? And the author, Jessica Knoll, is just like, yeah, I love having those things. <laughs> It's, I love having those nice purses. It's weird. It seems like she's aware that she lives in this world of pure evil, but is like, well, this is what I got to work with, right? But so I'm she still the best it. at it, so therefore yeah. it, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, she is a fucking writer for Cosmo and Self, so you know. Yeah. And, and I, I just, for me, it's really troubling to have... <sighs> To have people reading this and being like, you know, I should emulate this person because that's what happened. People are like, oh, the character went through a rape. I went through a rape. Therefore, I should be more like this character. And it's like, Jesus Christ, no, don't do it. Please don't, don't be like Tiffany. Don't ever. do don't it. Don't ever be like. Uh, and I, yeah, it just, it boggles my mind that anyone would find this character relatable. Um, you know, we've all had bad thoughts. Like, I don't think Chris or I are saying, like, we're perfect saints or anything, but um yeah, this book just goes places that somebody who is of sound mind wouldn't go. Uh, and I, I mean, obviously that's the point, but like, if that's the point, then people should probably shouldn't be idolizing the character. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. uh, don't be like anyone in this book. Nope. Don't ever be like anyone in this book. Oh yeah. And the only, the only other comment I had was like, ultimately I think this book was just written as like a form of therapy and an income stream for the author. Like, I think that she... Is that so terrible, though? Um, I mean, no. I mean, your motive behind writing the book isn't terrible. I mean, if, you know, if this helped her overcome her assault, which I really think it did, because, you know, a year or so after the book came out, she opened up about the fact that it actually happened when she apparently had never admitted it really before. Um, no, that's that's great. It served a purpose. Uh, I, I really just worry about all the people that consume the book and idolize the character and kind of think like oh i should i should also be like a selfish jerk and i don't want people to be selfish jerks we have enough of those in the world we don't need more selfish jerks um yeah so anyway uh my ultimate decision is do not read this book chris what do you think i'm mixed i'm very mixed i can't decide i'm like this is a really thinky one for me as i keep saying i i can't decide all right well, um, thanks, uh, Veronica, for recommending the book. Uh, Thank you, she actually, I'm going to read why she recommended it. Um, so uh, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. She said, Oh, it was a bestseller, and I was really excited to read it, but the main character was so unlikable. She was rude and unkind to her mother, a fiance. Um, I was scratching my head the whole time reading it, like, Why am I following this person? I don't care what happens to her. Uh, then terrible things happened, but I wasn't moved by it. So I don't know how or why I finished it. <laughs> so that was uh, was kind of her assessment is why she recommended yeah, it. I think uh, we're on the same page as her yeah. with most of that. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, uh, that brings our review of Lucky Scroll Live to a close. Uh, we'd like to, at this point, thank our patrons. So thank you to Veronica, uh, the patron who recommended this book. Uh, thanks also to Dari, Greg, Will, and our newest patron, D. Thanks for joining the ranks thank of the you. Terrible Book Club. Thank um, you for joining the Terrible Book Club. You're in the, t- the Terrible Book Hole with us now. <laughs> yeah, this is where you'll die. Um, get comfy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um yeah, so for uh, October, we have some spoopy books planned. Uh, so I did a little digging on Reddit and um, had some people tell me what the worst kind of horror books or spooky books they had ever read were. Got some really good recommendations, put the two uh, best ones up for a vote. Um, and then Chris and I talked about it. It seems like, um, let's see. Uh, you, Reddit user Lapwing Husk recommended Drawn to the Grave by Mary Ann Mitchell, and Reddit user Dick Dastardly recommended Crabs, the Human Sacrifice by <laughs> Guy N. Smith. So, uh, we obviously, everyone wants us to read the Crabs book, so we're gonna read awesome. the Crabs book. Um, so, so for, Hall- for Halloween, for October, we're gonna read Crabs, the Human Sacrifice by Guy N. Smith, um, and we're also going to read, um, the second book in the House of Night series. Ooh, uh, we're coming so... back to some old stuff again. Yes. Do you remember much of what happened? All I remember was a hallway blowjob that was very, <laughs> very talked about. So long ago, the... uh, for episode two, we read the yep, first book. it was the second book. book we ever read. We read the first book in the House of Night series, and it was basically like uh, vampire Harry Potter weird teenage sex magic native americans it, it was harry potter <laughs> twilight know. yeah yeah harry um, twilight and was... the curse of the stupid face tattoo oh yeah there are face tattoos it was abominably bad the episode uh that's actually an episode that still exists so you can listen to that one it's oh up. yeah um, get, catch get caught up yeah so i guess uh there there's somebody on twitter uh i think her name was Haley, who uh asked if we were going to read more of these and i and i was like yeah we're thinking about it so Haley, if you're listening you uh you got your wish uh we're your doing wish it has been granted by the October. terrible book gods terriblo <laughs> terriblo yes terriblo heard your prayers and put the idea in our minds um yeah actually that book was uh from the great pile of books that chris had from his uh, music video shoot for his band so um yeah the book found its way to us thanks to terriblo the terrible book cloud uh anyway so that's the uh, terrible that... be praised yeah terrible be praised that's the schedule for the rest of october so we're gonna do house and i book two then we're gonna do crabs human sacrifice um so we got uh we got you got your traditional like ooh sexy vampire stuff and then we got fucking crabs with giant knives uh so yep. should <laughs> uh, be good i'm looking yeah. forward to these yeah after this very serious one i think we need some <laughs> we need some levity. laughs yeah we need some levity uh, so as you know, as a final note, remember to leave us a review on iTunes. Tell your book nerd friends or other friends who might like the show about it. Uh, we can reach out to us on Facebook, uh, Twitter. We have our Patreon if you're not a patron. Um, and I'm usually around on some book and podcasting threads on Reddit, so you can usually find me there. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think that's it, Chris. You got anything that's else it for me? No, that's it for me. Um, we'll see you next time on this terrible book club. Uh, yeah we're, we'll see you next time on this sandwich called the terrible book club yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's got you might have noticed by the way you might have noticed our slightly new format that we might be oh, extending yeah. to other things yeah um we we got a theme song now kind of i think yeah we um i guess yeah i forgot to talk about this at the beginning but um uh 
Yeah, the we're trying to create like our, our normal kind of opening and song for the beginning and end of the show that isn't a uh, copyrighted work that we shouldn't be using. Oops. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, to, all right, let's be real. Like no one gives a shit about the show. We got like a couple hundred listeners. Like it's not big enough for anyone to care about. So like we never really, we were like, whatever, who cares? But now our fan base is growing. We kind of want to go on Spotify. So we're going to fix the music problems. Um, so yeah, hopefully the new intro sounds good. Uh, if you like it, let us know. If you hate it, yeah. let us know. If you're yeah. indifferent, also let us know, I guess. Uh, or don't, because you're indifferent. Uh, <laughs> so, if you hate it, maybe really let us know, because it'll be there forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, definitely on everything, on every episode. Yeah, like we're gonna go, we're gonna go back through and edit them. So, so please tell us if the uh, if the intro outro is awful. Uh, all right. With that being said, uh, I I'm looking forward to going back to uh, the house tonight. Me too. I'm, right. I'm ready for it, Paris. All right, I'll meet you, meet you at the house tonight in two weeks, everybody. All right. See you later, Paris. See you, Chris. <laughs>